Good morning. Happy Father's Day. My name is Todd Aaron. I am from Arkansas. That is here. <laughs> Just to help you out. And, uh, you know, I've been flying a lot lately. And one of the things that uh, I've realized is I've, my friends have been, like, texting me because they realize I begin to know the airports, okay? I begin to pride myself on, like, how well I know the airport. So my buddy, he literally was like, bro, I'm in Dallas. Where should I eat? I'm like, Terminal A, Papacitos. Another friend of mine's like, man, I'm in Atlanta. Terminal E, Qdoba is the only spot. Another friend of mine, man, I'm in Chicago. K4 Macaroni Grill, boom. And I, I've been, seriously, I'm like, man, I want to get through security in record speed. I just did it in 12 seconds. I mean, it was phenomenal. You should have been there, but you're not TSA approved. And, and so here I am, I, you know, I, 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 I'm flying from Chicago to Indianapolis, and uh, I do the same thing. Whenever I get on a plane, I do the same thing. I, I get in Me World, and Me World is where I put the noise cancellation headphones, not the white, normal earbuds that the common person wears. These are the noise Cadillac Escalade of headphones that you look important. And I put those on, turn off my phone, and just enter me world. I land in Indianapolis, open up my phone, turn it on, right? All of a sudden, as you've seen, as you've experienced, when you've turned off your phone and missed an event, text messages, one after another. And I'm like, what's going on? And it's the guy I'm meeting, Nate. He says, hey, we're headed to the airport. Next text. I mean, I'm just reading this. Uh, I can't believe this is happening. The next text. We don't know what we're going to do here. The next text. Tornado's approaching. The next text. We're in the terminal taking cover in the Indianapolis airport. The next text. Looks like you're back in Chicago. The next text. We'll figure something else out. <laughs> Pull up my blind. Take off the Cadillac Escalades, look over to the person to my right, and I say, where are we? <laughs> and she says, you don't know what happened? And I'm like, no. <laughs> She's like, we've been circling the Indianapolis airport for 45 minutes, trapped between two clouds and storms forming tornadoes. The pilots saw a clearing and beelined it back to Chicago. I'm like, we're in Chicago? <laughs> She's like, man, those headphones are amazing. <laughs> And I begin to ponder, I'm like, man, how hard was it for me to miss this event? I could have looked at the frustration of the passengers. I could have heard the pilot's announcement. I could have looked at the skyline of Chicago. I could have felt the turbulence. But no, I was living in me world, oblivious to everything else. And as I process that, I'm like, man, how easy is it for us doing life and the craziness that it brings to just gravitate towards me world. The dad who's trying to balance a job, time with their kids, and a savings account. The mom who's trying to balance a job and home care. The high school student who's so busy with image management, they can't look up. The college student who's here this summer serving but loses sight in the midst of the moment on why they're serving. How easy is it to gravitate towards me world? And what I want to do this week is I just want to take off the headphones. I want to take off the headphones and I want to look up and I want to see God. Every talk that's going to happen this week is going to focus on God. I want to say, man, who is he? What does he want from us? 
What is my role in this creation account? And as we do, we're going to realize as we take off the headphones that he's in the big, the small, that he's very personal, that he's why we exist. But if you're not careful, again, you won't realize how small you are, and you'll fail to realize how big God is. I mean, I don't feel small, though. I drive a big car. I live in a big house. I wear a big watch. My kids think I'm big right? And I, I don't feel small, but what happens when I begin to think, man, I'm, I'm kind of a big deal. All I have to do, I have a remedy. You just look up. All you have to do is look up, and you realize really quickly that we are indeed small. Psalms 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they are screaming. They are displaying His glory. Night after night, they display His knowledge. I thought the stars in the sky were there for when I go on date night with my wife and we go on a walk. I had no idea their role is to scream God's glory. And what, we, what happens is when you begin to look at creation, it drives us to know the creator. I mean, if creation is magnificent, how much more the creator? Think about this. Humanity walks at three miles an hour. A person can jog at 20 miles an hour. A professional cyclist can bike at 40 miles an hour. Light travels at 700 million miles an hour. Let me just say that again. Light travels at 700 million miles an hour. Just to bring that down, that's 186,000 miles a second. Light travels, a beam of light travels at 186,000 miles a second. That means it's a beam of light circles the globe every second, seven times. Seven times it's around every time. That's not, one second is how long it takes you to snap. A beam of light can circle the earth seven times in a second. Now, because for me, high school science class was like more than two decades ago, and I'm sure for some of you it was the same. For some of you it was longer. I just want to remind us what the role of a light year is, okay, and that whole idea. Like using miles to measure things, you can do that from Kalamazoo to Gold Lake. You can be like, oh, it's this many miles. But when you're looking at the galaxy and the solar system, you can't do that because the miles are too small. You need light years. Light years don't measure time, they measure distance. They don't measure time, they measure distance. And so all of a sudden, if you know how fast light travels, you can begin to measure how small we are, okay? So this is Earth, we live here. And, and like nobody writes that down, ever, you know? It's like, wait, hang on. We live on Earth, okay? And now just to remind us, our planet, other planets, and our sun sit inside our solar system. Our solar system is inside our galaxy. Our galaxy is known as Milky Way. There's 400 billion galaxies. We live in one of them. There's 400 billion galaxies. Just in our galaxy, there's 300 billion stars. On a clear night, when you go out to look at them, you can see 2,500 with your naked eye. If you wanted to count all the stars just in our galaxy it would take you 2,100 years just to count one by one every star in our galaxy. And God knows all of them by name. There's more stars than sand on all the beaches in all the world. Let me just say that again. There's more stars 
than there is sand on all the beaches in all the world. But when you open up to Genesis and you read the creation of the stars, let me just share with you what God says. Genesis 1.16, here it is. He made the stars also. He made the stars. That's like an afterthought. It's like me pulling into a drive-thru. I'll take a burger, fries, stars, (laughs) stars also. I mean, it's just like he just throws it in. He throws it in, right? Here's another incredible picture to show our perspective. This is earth compared to the sun. Now, now this is not how close we are to the sun. That would be bad, okay? This is hot day today in northern Michigan. This is not how close we are to the sun. I just shoved the earth near the sun to show the, the size difference because I think, man, our earth is huge. We have a small earth, a little small earth. You can fit 1.3 million earths inside the sun. You can fit 1.3 million Earths inside the sun. The sun gives off more energy than humanity has ever created. The sun gives off more energy in one second than humanity has ever created since Adam and Eve. But yet, our sun is so small. Our sun is so small. The fourth brightest star in our galaxy is Arcturus. Arcturus is 26 times larger than the sun. 26 times larger than the sun. You can fit 17,000 suns inside Arcturus. But Arcturus is small. Arcturus is small compared to Betelgeuse. Betelgeuse is 600 times larger than the sun. You can fit 1 billion suns inside Betelgeuse. I mean, just think about that. Think about that. We can't even start with the earth. It's just too small. So there's our sun. Here comes Arcturus, halfway in the screen right now. There's Arcturus. And as you begin to watch, this is just in our galaxy. This is just in our galaxy. There's the full Arcturus coming into scene. And then you've got other stars behind it. And then all of a sudden you've got, here comes Betelgeuse, okay? So here's Betelgeuse. And then all of a sudden it just started, it's so big, they just use numbers. They just use, you know, like WR94, there that is. There's TR100, C3PO. You know, you just, you you use numbers because it's like we have nothing. I mean, look at this. When you look at the planets and the sun, and the other stars. If the earth was a golf ball, if the earth was a golf ball, the sun would be an SUV. The largest star in our galaxy would be Mount Everest. He is the God of the big. Do we realize that? He is the God of the big. And that's why Psalms 19 again, the heavens declare the glory of God. I can't get away from it. I read it this morning. The the, the stars show the magnificence of who he is. If this is creation, how much greater creator? If the watch is magnificent, how much greater the watchmaker? I love Isaiah 40, 22. Isaiah 40, 22. He sits enthroned 
above. He stretches the heavens like a canopy. He spreads it out like a tent. You go camping. You show up. You get out the tent. You pull out the Yeti. You check for rocks. Kids are still in the car. And you throw the tent out. That action for you is what God does with the galaxies. He throws them out like you and I would simply spread out a tent. And God does this. Why? To show us his magnificence. February 14th, 1990, an unmanned spacecraft left our solar system. Four billion miles away... Four billion miles away, the scientists at headquarters turned it around to take a selfie. Okay, turned it around to take a picture of the planet Earth just to see if it could snap a pic. And the picture became so famous because it caught a glimpse of the Earth. It's called the pale blue dot. You're like, what? What? Doesn't even, if you're squinting right now, that's my point. It looks like a picture you got from Walgreens that came back bad, you know? But basically, this is a sunbeam, and I circled personally our little planet. There it is. So squint a little harder. This is called the pale blue dot. That's you from four billion miles away on a sunbeam. And Carl Sagan, a renowned astronomer, was one of the first to see this picture. And he began writing. And here's what Carl Sagan said about the pale blue dot. If you look at it, you see a dot that's here, that's home, that's us. On it, everyone you know, everyone you love, everyone you've ever heard of, every human being who ever was, lived out their lives, all their joys and sufferings, ideologies and doctrines, every hero, every coward, every creator, every destroyer of all civilizations, every king, every peasant, every couple in love, every hopeful child, every mother, every father, inventor, explorer, teacher of morals and corrupt politicians, every superstar, every leader, every saint, every sinner in the history of our species lives here on a moat of dust suspended on a sunbeam. Everything we are, everything we love, on a moat of dust, suspended on a sunbeam. I'm not trying to make us feel small. I'm trying to help us with the reality we are small. How does the Bible describe me? How does the, how does the Bible describe you? What is your life? You're a mist. You appear for a little while, and then you vanish. What is your life? You're here. You're here for a little while, and then you vanish. You're fog. A buddy of mine, we're having a conversation. He's like, hey, Todd, do you know the definition of fog? I'm like, no. He's like, here in the morning, gone in the morning. I'm like, oh, you mean here in the morning, gone in the afternoon? He's like, no, 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 you don't make it to breakfast. You're here in the morning, and you're gone by, well, morning. He's the God of the big. 
And that drives us to him. But not only is he the God of the big, he's the God of the small. He's the God of the small. Think of the bird. A bird. Listen to Matthew chapter 6, verse 26. Matthew 6, 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Look at the birds. Your heavenly Father feeds them. What does that mean for you and I? It means the God of our galaxy, who created Betelgeuse and Arcturus, invades our galaxy, comes into our planet, comes into our continent, comes into our state, comes into our town, comes into our driveway, comes into our back door, and he calls on the movement of a worm to feed the bird on your back fence. What is man? What is a bird? Forget man. God says, consider the birds. I call the worms from the dirt. He's the God of the big. He's the God of the small. Think of our cells, not our phone, but our actual cells. Did you know that 10,000 cells can fit on the head of a pen? 10,000 cells can fit on the head of the pen, and then every cell is coded in a DNA. Every cell. Why? Why does God do this? Because he wants to show us he is a big God, he is a small God, but he is a personal God. He wants to know us. Psalms chapter 8. Psalms chapter 8, when I look at the heavens... The work of your fingers and the moon and the stars which you have set into place. Here it is. What is man? This thing suspended on a sunbeam on a pale blue dot in the midst of the planets. What is man that you are mindful of him? What is the son of man that you care for him? What is man, a vapor gone by breakfast? Who is this son of man that you care for him? He cares for us. He's a personal God. It's seen in how he creates us. Think of your eyebrow. Your eyebrow, did you know your eyebrow is the only hair on your entire body that runs uphill? If any human created humanity, they just put regular hair, but not God. He codes into your DNA that it move uphill. Why? So that when you garden, you don't get sweat content in your eye. Our God is so personal that he wants us to not get salt sweat in our eye that we can focus on our task. God bless the unibrow. He codes it in to our DNA. What about the ear? Why do we have two ears? Why not one? We have one nose. Why do we have two ears? Did you know that with only one ear, you could only hear the sound? But the second ear allows you to locate where it's coming from. Is it above, below, in front, or behind? Who cares that humanity, suspended on a sunbeam, on a pale blue dot, can know where sound is coming from? God does. God does. God cares. Genesis chapter 1, the creation account. Over and over again, 10 times you hear God creating, and every time he creates by using the same mechanism, his voice. Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, God spoke, and the heavens and earth came forth. God spoke, and there was light. God spoke, and there was vegetation. God spoke, and the animals were created. 10 times in Genesis chapter 1, we see God speaking. And then all of a sudden, you get to Genesis chapter 2, where humanity is created. 
the Lord God does something different. He changes his mechanism of creation. He doesn't speak. He forms man from the dust of the ground. He breathes into man the breath of life. And man becomes a living being. He forms. That's the picture of, an, of a potter carefully crafting the clay exactly the way he wants it. He forms. Today, my wife and I, she's seven months pregnant. And this morning, we just looked up, what did God form in our baby today? He formed in the baby in her womb bone marrow that makes red blood cells today. He formed that. But not only that, he doesn't just form, he breathes. God doesn't breathe or form anything else. He doesn't form or breathe the stars or the, the animals. Creation, no, but he does that with us. He breathes into us the breath of God coming into man. How personal is that? He personally breathes and we come alive. This goes back to Psalms 8. Who am I that you are mindful of me, God? And his response is this. You're a mist. You're a mist. You're, 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 you're mist. You're a fog. But I'm mindful of you because you're mist who's made in the image of your maker. You're a mist, but you're made in the image. Who's man? Who's woman? He's made in the image of his maker. God gives us his name early on in scripture. We've heard it. We've all heard God's name that he gives us, Yahweh. He calls himself Yahweh. Now, Jews call the word Yahweh the breath letters. Because when you say Yahweh, they actually see it and hear it as the very sound you use to breathe. The very breath of God is in us, so it's no doubt he codes in our DNA every time we breathe. So when you're sharing Christ with your coworker, and they're like, no thanks, man, I'm not interested, and they talk about how there is no God, and then they pause to take a breath, they just spoke his name. He's the God of the big. He's the God of the small. But he codes in us. He's a personal God. He wants to know us. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Colossians 1, 16. All things were created by him and for him. All things were created by him and for him. What does this mean? Why does God create the heavens and the earth, the small? Why does he create the personal? Why? He wants to know us. All things are created to know him. We are created to know him and to glorify him. That's why he creates the stars and the skies and the cells and, and us. It's to know and glorify him. What does it mean to know God? A lot of Christians know God but they're not intimate with him. They don't know him closely. They don't want to be in proximity to him. What does it mean to know God? It means you know him personally. You want to be with him. What does it mean to glorify God? Well, to glorify God, if you go to an art museum and you want to glorify a painting, you don't take out a paintbrush and add a hat. No, you don't. If you want to glorify a painting, what do you do? You look at it. You observe it. You ponder it. You check it out from different angles. You talk about it. You're not adding to it. You're just in awe of it. 
God says, I've created you to know me and to glorify me. But what happens so quickly in life? I'm back in me world. July's here, man. Ton on my plate. I'm back in me world. And if you're not careful, you'll continue to gravitate. And you won't live for your intended purpose of to know God and to glorify God. Did you know on Apple's website, it has the warning label, do not eat iPod? (laughs) Did you know on the side of a hula hoop, it says, do not swallow? It's like, why on earth would they need a warning label of this ignorance? And it's because people have tried it and they've been sued. People have tried to use products for not their intended purpose. Just as ridiculous as it is for someone to try to eat an iPod, it is the exact same ridiculous as you trying to live in me world and satisfy yourself. What's the warning label on our life? Do not live for self. It will not satisfy. It does not work. But what do we do? We go back to work, life, craziness. Kids, community group. Bible study, but all the while, man, me world, me world. I have a friend who wants to live his life to know and glorify God. I love being around him. He's joyful. He has passion, purpose. Yeah, he has problems, but he has centered his life on taking off the headphones of self, and he wants to know and glorify God. I got another friend of mine. He's a follower of Christ. He goes to Bible studies, but he's got the headphones on. You can ask him, and his goal in life is to shove as much money into his savings account by the time he's 55. And every morning is the first thing he checks on his phone. How much is in there now? Why? He's living in me world. I mean, think about it. Some people, their whole job is to follow around famous people and try to get a photo. Like, I've met people, paparazzi, who I'm like, what do you do for a living? Oh, I follow around Brad Pitt because if he's seen with this person, I can send it to People Magazine, and I will then get $30,000. And I'm like, your goal is to follow around famous people. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, you know, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you know Brad Pitt doesn't want you to do that. I think he would like me. No, he doesn't. If, if I gave Brad Pitt the opportunity to meet you, he wouldn't want it. But yet your whole life is centered on following a person who doesn't want to know you. My niece was at our house recently. She's like, oh my goodness. She's tweeting about Kim Kardashian. She's in Cuba. She's driving a pink Cadillac. I'm like, you know, Melanie, she doesn't really care about you. Kim Kardashian has no desire to know you, but yet you're consumed with her. The God of the universe who creates, sustains, engages, says, will you come close to me? And what do we do? Just kind of busy, man. Got a lot going on. It's golf weekend. God wants to know us. You know, I'm convinced that when we die, God's going to ask us one question. When we die, God's going to ask us one question. 
did you know that I loved you? Did you know that I loved you? I did all this. Did you know I set my affections on you? That in me you found purpose and life and meaning. Or did you not? Let's take off the headphones this week. Let's enjoy each other, enjoy God, and let's get to know Him at a deeper level. <laughs> a friend of mine named Mark, I saw him at a coffee shop recently. He's like, hey man, we moved over to Fayetteville. I'm like, no way, you moved to Fayetteville. He's like, yeah, we built a house, come by and see it. I'm like, where is it? He's like, oh, it's off of Joyce and Crossover. I'm like, man, I'm gonna cruise over and see it. He's like, it's brand new, we've been there like three months. Go by, meet him. He shows me around his house. We go to the backyard of his house. I'm like, he had a wrought iron fence. And on the other side of a fence, of his wrought iron fence, is a huge funeral burial ground, a cemetery. Like you could take your foot through the wrought iron fence and you can kick a tombstone. I did it. And I'm like, this is incredibly morbid that you would choose this lot and live here. And I began to say, why on earth, Mark, of all the places in Arkansas that you can gather and dig roots, do you buy property and build a home behind a cemetery? And he said, Todd, Every morning when my wife and I have coffee on our back porch, we see people setting up for a funeral. Every morning we see a funeral. He said, do you know how long a funeral takes? I said, no. He said, 30 minutes. He said, and over the last three months, do you know the number one thing that determines how many people come to your funeral? the weather. He said, every morning when I wake up, I realize my life is indeed a mist. See, Mark understands that he is a mist, but he also understands that the mist can know the Maker. The mist can know and glorify and find our purpose in Him. Do we? And so, Father, that's our prayer this week. May we be a people this week who just want to know and glorify you in a deeper way. I just pray for all the children, the counselors, 
Lord, that they would just know and glorify you in a deeper way that when we leave here, we pack our bags and we leave here, that we would go, man, we know and glorify you in a newer and deeper way, Lord. May we be open to your intentions. May we take off the headphones of me, world. In your name, amen.